Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn this morning to the fourth chapter of John, reading from verse 3 through verse 29. That's John chapter 4, verse 3, reading in Jesus' name. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? 
The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the man, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Amen. Jesus left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. Jesus was going north out of the land of Judea back to the area that he would call his home, so to speak, where his earthly place of rest during his ministry was Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. And it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. But the disciples marveled at this because of his statement or his actions that he would go through Samaria. Because the disciples would not have gone through Samaria. They would have taken a, another route, probably on the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee, up through the area of the Decapolis, rather than to avoid the region of Samaria. There was no love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans. And it went back hundreds of years, centuries prior to the time of the captivity in, in Babylon when the Assyrians had come from the north and had, had invaded the northern kingdom of, of Israel and had taken captive many people from Israel and had, and had moved the Assyrians into the northern um, kingdom of Israel and they had intermarried with the Jews, these were the Samaritans, half-breeds, rejected by both the Jews and probably their Assyrians as far as that goes. But we know that between the Jews and the, and the Samaritans, there was, there was enmity between those two people. Not only were the, the, the Jews look at them as being half-breeds, but they worshipped in a different area and in a different manner which we see, which the woman confesses. But Jesus says, or by his action, you don't really see that here, he, it is necessary, he needed to go through Samaria. Why did he need to go through Samaria? Why wasn't he like all the other good Jews and would not set foot into Samaria, but would go some other manner, some other route? The reason that he must go through Samaria is the woman at the well that God had ordained in his, um, in his omniscience, knowing all things, that, that this woman at the well would be in need of a Savior, and the Savior would address her needs, and she also then would be able to testify of this man who knew all things. Ordained of God, no chance meeting here at all, as Jesus tells his disciples or shows them as they are going down the road and they're saying, no, take the right fork, and he goes straight, right through Samaria. And he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, 
a lot of history here, a lot of history for the Jewish people. As they remember the well that was dug by Jacob here, I guess the archaeologists say that it was probably one of the deepest wells in that area. It was, it was well known. It, it um, provided water for many people throughout the dry season. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey. The journeys of Jesus and his disciples, as well as later on the apostles, as we read through the book of Acts, we, we see the, the disciples and, and the apostles going from place to place, and it's just maybe three words. You know, they went from here to here. And in our mind, we probably, well, not that we would think that they're in cars, but in our mind, we would just hop in the car and go. It's not that big a deal. We take a little snack with us, and we have stops along the way to give us opportunity to stretch our legs and so on, but it was not that way by any means. These were hard, arduous journeys that they were going on. And Jesus and his disciples were wearied. They were tired. Here it is, the sixth hour, probably noon. There's different reckonings of time, but, but from the context here, it seems like it would have been noon. They would have journeyed a fair amount of time already. The heat of the day, Jesus is sitting there at the, at the edge of the, of the um, well. His disciples have gone into the village to buy food because it was time to eat and it was time to drink. And it just happened. No, it didn't just happen. God sends, God allows, God permits, God ordains that this woman of Samaria comes to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. He opens the conversation with a very obvious um, statement or question here. It's not something that would startle her other than the fact that she, being a woman all alone would be spoken to by a man who was all alone. That was not common. People did not do that at that time. It was not um, of good manners, you might say. It was just not something that the culture allowed or permitted or practiced. Verse 8 tells us where his disciples were. They were gone away into the city to buy meat, to buy food. And then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew? There must have been something about Jesus' dress, his attire, his look, whatever, or had God just shown unto her that this man here is a Jew. And something is going to happen here that is a little out of the ordinary. The Gospel of Luke tells us that when his disciples and Jesus were going through another time, they were going through Samaria, and the Samaritans would not let them enter into that area because their face was set as though they were going to Jerusalem. So there was something about the, the Jews and the Samaritans that was a little bit different in their look or in their attire or something. They recognized one as their enemy to some extent, they would not let them go through Samaria. And remember, the, the, um, the sons of thunder, James and John, said, should we call fire down from heaven that we would consume these people because they're not allowing us to go through Samaria? 
So here this woman says, how is it that thou, why would you, a Jew, talk to me, which am a woman of Samaria? Two reasons that Jesus should not talk to her. One I already mentioned, culturally inappropriate, that a man all by himself would talk to a woman who was all by herself, and then also a Jew that would talk to a Samaritan. What is it that you are speaking to me? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. We get a little hint here that she's blaming the Jews for this animosity between them. She doesn't say that we Samaritans have no dealings with the Jews, but the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. But it went both ways. As I already mentioned from the book of Luke, neither one of them really loved the other. But Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God. Last Sunday's text, which is, by the way, quite similar. Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. The necessity that, that Jesus would be there for Nicodemus, that they would have this conversation. God ordained this conversation again. It was something that there was a certain amount of animosity between the Sanhedrin and the common Jew, Jesus being one of those. The things that would be revealed, that Jesus would reveal of himself to Nicodemus and now this woman at the well. But we read from last Sunday's text, John chapter 3, verse 16. I don't have to read it, but I will. By me saying I don't have to read it, it should be committed to memory. For God so loved the world that he gave. There's the gift. He gave. He gave a gift. And that gift was his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now Jesus tells the woman at the well, if thou knewest the gift, if you knew what God had given to mankind, and who it is that saith to you, give me to drink, Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Another one of Jesus, as it tells us later on in the book of John, a proverb. Now the ears of the woman were opened, giving living water. Just as Nicodemus was taken back a little bit by Jesus' statement that ye must be born again, Likewise, this woman now, her mind starts going, what is this man talking about? If you knew the gift of God that is right before you, you would have asked not only for water that would sustain you, but water that would give you life unto life eternal. And the woman then, like Nicodemus, thinks of things in a natural realm. As Nicodemus says, how can a man who is old be, be, um, go back into his mother, be born again? How is this going to happen? Enter into the womb again and be born again? This woman says, thou hast nothing to draw with. You just asked me for some water, and now you're talking about me or you giving me living water. How is this going to happen? This well is deep. 
from whence thou hast that living water. Isaiah gives us a little bit of a glimpse into this, what Jesus is going to teach this woman and what he teaches us through the word. In the 12th chapter of Isaiah, verse 1, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. So there's a turning here now, okay? Behold, God is my salvation. God's anger is going to be turned away from his people. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, as the Lord has taken away our anger, his anger toward us, poured out his wrath upon his son, therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. The woman says, you have nothing to draw with. You don't even have a dipper. The well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? She's beginning to understand a little bit, or at least she's, she's um, accepted the invitation to enter into this conversation. What about this living water? Now, living water to the, to the Jew at that time in her natural thinking was water that was flowing. A stream was living water. A spring was living water. But not a well. This well could have... Um, gotten its water from the ground, from an aquifer, but it could also have been what we would call a cistern. That runoff water was going into this well, so it was not living water, rather it was stagnant water. Although the water was probably good, safe to drink, but it was not living water, it was not flowing water. So how can you produce flowing water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Jacob dug a well, and he dug a good well, and we drink from that water, and you're now saying that you're going to be able to give me flowing water, a spring? Not only Jacob drinking from that, but his children and his cattle, proof that it was very productive. The well that had stood the centuries of time and was still producing water, and Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Jesus will use this same argument, you might say, in the sixth chapter of John as he goes from the water of life to the bread of life. And he said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and died. But he is here that he would give living bread. I am the bread which came down from heaven, that if a man eat thereof, he shall never die. The water that Jacob, Jacob's well produced sustained life. It kept them living. And it's a necessity for us to have water as well as a necessity to have food, but especially water. But Jesus is telling her, and the Word tells us, that this living water 
which is that which proceeds from the throne of God, does not only sustain life, but it gives life, as Jesus says in the 10th chapter of John, that he came to give life and to give it more abundantly. Abundant life, eternal life, which cometh from this water that Jesus is so willing to give, not only her, but also us this morning. Whosoever, whoever, God so loved the world, not only the Samaritans or the Jews, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Jesus began his ministry, the Sermon on the Mount, of those who thirst, hunger, and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, or a spring, springing up into everlasting life. The seventh chapter of John, Jesus at the great feast. John 7, 37, Jesus tells us what this water is. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then John the Apostle tells us what Jesus was speaking of. In verse 39, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now the Holy Spirit was from the beginning. We read about the Spirit moving about on the face of the waters. The Spirit was in the beginning, the third person of the Godhead. But the Spirit had not been given to the church as evidenced on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit, the abiding Spirit that enters into those who would believe in the Word of Christ. So John tells us when Jesus cries out in that last day of the feast, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, or of life-giving water. The Word of God, the words that I give, they are spirit and they are life. The sixth chapter of John Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. The water that I give you. So the woman said unto him, now in this conversation, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She's getting it now. She wants some of that living water because it will be a water that will be ever springing up unto everlasting life. She wants this water so I don't have to come again to draw. I suppose we could say a lot about this verse 15, but we're just going to leave it there, that she's just saying, I wouldn't have to come day after day after day to draw this water from the well. Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. 
Doesn't it seem that this is sort of out of place? The conversation about living water, and now Jesus brings her life before her. Jesus, the Word, is calling unto her, doing a work in her heart, even as the Spirit even now calls and gathers and lightens. The Spirit, which uses the Word, calls people unto the Father. But now Jesus begins to preach to her the law, which would convict her of her sin. Thou hast well said, I have no husband. As the woman answered, truthfully, I have no husband. And Jesus says, yes, what you're saying is right. Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. Doesn't really tell us here, but I think the, the impression that most have gotten throughout the ages is that she has had five husbands and she has divorced every one of them. That's the feeling. It seems like that would probably be what the situation is. It could be that they all died. We don't know. But the last statement that Jesus says definitely was a conviction. Should have been a conviction. Thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. So she was living with a man without the benefit of marriage. She was living in an adulterous situation, and Jesus knew that. She knew that. But the Word told her that. Even as the Word tells us, in the, for the purpose in which it has come, to tell us that we are sinners in need of God's grace. So often we might know that we are sinning, that we are sinners, but when the Word tells us that, when we see it in black and white before us, the reality is that we are indeed a sinner. This sin has been codified. It has been written down. It has been engraved in stone. that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Put yourself here in the place of this woman. And Jesus would spell out in so many words your sin, your particular sinfulness or actual sin, and you would be convicted of it. And the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Prophets knew all things. Even now in the church we have the spirit of prophecy, which is the testimony of Jesus Christ. When the ministers prophesy, they prophesy that even though you are a sinner, your sin is forgiven in Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved is the prophecy of Christ. I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, Mount Gerizim. There was a 
temple that was erected but had been destroyed a few hundred years prior in the Maccabean Revolt. The temple had been destroyed and the Samaritans were now worshiping within those ruins, but they were still worshiping on that particular mountain. And we know that in Jerusalem is the place, Mount Moriah, Mount Zion, where the temple was erected. As God tells Moses in the book of Exodus as well in the book of Deuteronomy that there is only one place, the place that the Lord will, will um, provide, will command that they would worship there. This temple would be erected and God would visit them in that temple in the sacrificial system which was a picture of Christ, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. So there's an argument here between the Samaritans and the Jews. Where is this place that you're going to worship? And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Brother Mike prayed in his opening prayer that God would be with the children of God, wherever they were gathered. He prayed for the universal church. There will come a time when it will not be in this mountain nor in that, in this church nor in that, but wherever the word of God is rightly divided and the worshipers worship in spirit and truth, where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus is going to, is, is not going to, he is telling that the time will come where not only your temple will be destroyed, but also the temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed. But people will worship in the true temple, the temple of the living God, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Destroy this temple, and in three days it will raise it up again, as Jesus told his disciples. And they marveled. Fifty-six years this temple was in building, and you're going to raise it up in three years? But John the Apostle tells us, no, Jesus was speaking of his body. That though he be crucified, laid in the grave for three days, he'll be raised again by the power of God. Him we will worship. Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain, that is in the mountain where the Samaritans worshipped, nor yet at Jerusalem where the Jews worshipped, will you worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. You do not know what you are worshiping. Their worship had been, uh, what, what would be the right word? Compromise is a nice word. It was a mixture of Judaism and paganism. But yet they still were waiting for the Messiah as this woman testifies that I know when the Messiah comes, he will show me all things. So they had an element of the truth, the Old Testament scriptures, what God had given unto them, but there was also paganism mixed in. And Jesus says, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. And we being the Jews. That's what Jesus is saying. We know. The Jews know. You Samaritans don't really know what you are worshiping. But the Jews know what they are worshiping. Now, the word tells us that Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. 
But that isn't the fault of the word, the commandments, the law that was given unto the Jews. Paul writes unto the Romans in the ninth chapter. <clears throat> the benefit that the Jews had. The Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. All of these things had been given unto the Jews and ultimately Christ, who came from that tribe of Judah, the fulfillment of all things. Salvation is of the Jews. Salvation will come through the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is. Not only has it come, but it now is. Jesus is ushering in this New Testament time of grace. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. He has come to seek and to save them who are lost. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Spirit? Is Jesus speaking of some mystical type thing that we would go out into the wilderness somewhere and, and, or, or chant certain words and the spirit will somehow come to us or something like that or whatever? What about truth? Pilate asked, what is truth? Jesus came to give the Spirit. We read that in the book of John, that the Spirit proceedeth from the Father and from the Son. Jesus also spoke of himself as being the truth. I am the way, the truth in the life. So what we really see here is, is, a, is a hint, more than a hint, of the Trinity, how God has works together here. The Father will be worshipped in the Spirit, through the Spirit, by the Spirit, and he will be worshipped in truth. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, as Jesus says. I am the way the way to the Father, I am the truth, there is no other way, and I am the one who gives life. So Jesus is saying that there is going to be a true worship, not a sacrificial system which is pointing to something, but the true sacrifice. As he is not only the high priest, but he had also something to give, and that is himself the true sacrifice that we would bow down and worship him. Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. God is a spirit. The material manner of worship will be removed from both the Samaritans, from the Jews, from all humanity as we worship God in the spirit. As he is a spirit, likewise then we, through that Holy Spirit, worship and approach him. And that is through the word, 
as the sword of the Spirit, is the word of God. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the Spirit testifies of Jesus, crucified and risen again for your sake. The work of Jesus upon the cross as he bore your sin, my sin, nailed it to the cross, paid that price that we were not able to pay, not with silver nor with gold, but with his holy precious blood, and now is raised again for our justification to give us the hope and the promise of life eternal. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. Each statement of hers is getting a little bit closer, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things, and then Jesus gives her the gospel. I that speak unto thee am he. This really is the first I am statement in the book of John. If we would look at it in its original order of words, it would be I am the one that's speaking to you. I am the one who is giving you life. That though your sin is so great, I am greater than your sin. I am he that speaketh unto you. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. How can this be? But yet they didn't dare ask him. No man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then, as we read from Isaiah, with joy you will sing. She was so joyous that her Savior had spoken to her wonderful words of life that she left her water pot. Her whole reason that she came was not important anymore. The reason that she had to come every day to draw from this, from this Jacob's well was not important. She now had living water that would flow from her as we see evidenced later on beyond our text. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the man, Come, see a man. Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Isn't this amazing? Jesus told her of her sinfulness, of her sinful life, and it didn't matter anymore. See a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Is it possible that this is the Messiah? If we go later on in this text, I should have maybe read it. But verse 39, if you have your Bibles open, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. And now we know why he must needs go through Samaria. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. He laid out my sinful life before me and before himself, and it didn't bother me. It doesn't bother me anymore because my sin is washed away. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him so differently than that other time. 
that they would not let him through, but now they besought him, they begged, they urged him, please stay with us. And he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Jesus began his ministry by telling his disciples, let us go into the villages and the cities and preach to them, preach the gospel to them, because that's the reason I came. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Though your sins be great, God's grace is greater than all of your sin. And even this morning, like this woman, though your sins may be great and are great, we can't minimize our sins. Well, our sin is just, a, they're just little things that we've committed against God's perfect and holy will. Though your sin is great, Jesus' blood has washed away your sin. Be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. In Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Dear gracious God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this word which became flesh, dwelt among us. We thank you for Jesus, who has borne our sin, nailed it to the cross, and spoken unto us, even unto those who crucified him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Dear Father, in this time of the season, as we are looking forward to the passion of Jesus Christ, may our eyes be lifted up to Jesus, lifted up high and holy among us, that I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. We pray, dear Father, that your good and gracious will would be done among us. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.